Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and 
welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am your host, Liv, the woman whose book is officially out today. That's right. Today is my book birthday, and goddammit, I am psyched. If you haven't already bought it, now is the time. Go to mythsbaby.com book for links, or honestly, you can just check wherever you get your books. There is a print copy, an ebook copy, and an audiobook all read by me. It is available internationally. Some places are getting it a little bit later than others, but it should be available basically wherever English books are sold. I even released a little audiobook trailer over the weekend, so you can find that if you haven't already listened. But not only is it my book birthday, it is also the last day of Women's History Month. And what does that mean? Fucking Amazons. Warrior women of mythology and history. Today's episode is devoted to the mythological Amazons of the ancient Greek world and their stories. That is, not the historical ones. Not yet, at least, because I will absolutely get to them because they are incredibly important. But frankly, this month really got away from me between booking so many brilliant people to chat with me on the show for those conversation episodes and having to think about and promote my book nonstop. It's been a trial. It's been tiring. So no major research projects for me. Though I have had a magnificent listener named Jade who has been helping me out with that as well. But the Amazons deserve my full attention, and one day I hope to actually have my full attention to give. <laughs> Dare to dream, right? For now, mythological Amazons. I have told stories of these women in snippets of other stories, the horror that is Theseus, the mess that was one of the trials of Heracles, but today they're getting their own episode, because they deserve it. This is episode 119, They're Warriors with Great Names, The Mythological History of the Amazons. Otrera, Antiope, Hippolyta, Penthesilea? The mythological Amazonians were a tribe of complete and utter badasses. The famous king of Troy, Priam, called them men's equals, their match. That alone should make clear how respected they were across the ancient Greek world. They're actually the second most popular subject on vase paintings, after only Heracles himself. Still, the mythology and history that remains of these women is somewhat limited and tends to revolve around the men they encountered. That is, in part, because the Amazonian women were explicitly not Greek. They were barbarians. They were understood to be a tribe of warriors 
near Greece who had encounters with the Greeks, and thus their stories revolve around the Greek men, Heracles, Theseus, Achilles. What we know of them is piecemeal. Different, tiny anecdotes from different sources. When it comes to putting together where they come from and who they are, I'm not going to go into too much detail over which source says what. It's just really piecemeal. Instead, I'm just going to try to tell you a story as if it's straightforward, because wouldn't that be lovely? It begins with Otrera. Otrera was the mother of the Amazons, and their father was Ares. Or... It was a nymph named Harmonia, who was also with Ares. It seems I can't help but make it complicated. Regardless of who was the first Amazon, though, it's this connection to Ares that's important. Ares is the god of war, the act itself. Not the craft of it like Athena, but the dark parts of war, the violent, tragic parts. This is what the Amazons were good at, too. Ares was also from Thrace, a people that were seen as violent warriors like the god himself. Meanwhile, the Amazons were said to be from Amazonia, and their stronghold there called Themyscira, which is where Wonder Woman gets it, which was in what is now sort of northeastern Turkey. The point is, they were Easterners, they were not Greek. But then often, Ares was considered somewhat similarly if he was also an Olympian god. In the famous Argonautica, that's the epic poem devoted to Jason and his quest for the Golden Fleece with the Argonauts, there's a reference to the Amazons, the warrior women and their armor as they're putting it on. The travelers don't actually encounter the women directly, but they sort of sail past in awe. That first queen, Otrera, was said to have even founded the Temple of Artemis at Ephesus, which was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's in Turkey, I've been to what remains of Ephesus, and it's fucking unbelievable. But what of their actual stories? The most famous stories of the Amazons revolve around two heroes, Heracles, and the one who is the absolute worst, Theseus. Sometimes the stories even stem from the same initial task. And that task is one of Heracles's twelve labors. I told the stories of these twelve labors in very early episodes of the podcast, and one day we'll dive into the rest of Heracles' story, but in the case of that particular task assigned to Heracles, King Eurystheus of Tiryns, one of the most important cities of the Mycenaean period, requested Heracles acquire the belt of Ares from Hippolyta, the Amazonian queen. This was, in essence, a war belt. While it's often translated as the word girdle when it comes to Hippolyta, this was a war belt. Apparently, it's even the same word as used in the war belts of men, but for some reason gets a more womanly connotation. But in all cases, this is a war belt. The war belt of Ares, according to some. It is basically a symbol of Hippolyta's stature. 
The ultimate reasons why Heracles would do this thing for Eurystheus are lengthy, but basically he was dedicated to completing whatever tasks Eurystheus assigned, and this was no different. For his part, Eurystheus wanted the war belt for his daughter, who desired to own something of the badass Amazons, which I mean, respect, if not respect at all for how they went about it. Heracles sailed off with a band of men to the land of the Amazons, to Themyscira, where their queen reigns. They take the same route that Jason took long ago. It seems as though the Amazons weren't far from Colchis, actually, both eastern, both sort of at the farthest edges of the known Greek world at the time. When they arrive there, Heracles chooses diplomacy with Hippolyta, the queen of the Amazons, whose name means releases the horses. He's up front with her, explaining why he's there. I've been compelled to complete these tasks assigned by Eurystheus, and his daughter wants your war belt of Ares. Frankly, I find this incredibly respectable. Unlike so many so-called heroic encounters, he doesn't barge in, doesn't begin with violence or espionage. He's just like, hey, this is why I'm here. It's what I need. What do you say? Equally important, and a big reason for why Heracles chooses diplomacy, Hippolyta is his equal. She is his match. He is not stronger than her, nor more talented with his weapons. He is not, in any way, more impressive or powerful than Hippolyta. Heracles, Hercules, was not in any way more impressive or powerful than Hippolyta. Not only this, Hippolyta is a gracious, kind queen. So what does she do? She just agrees to give him her war belt because he needs it, and he asked nicely. But we can't exactly have a story of Heracles, one of the most famous trials, no less, where things just go smoothly and without violence or without Heracles and his companions having any reason to prove themselves. Nope, can't have that. Enter Hera, queen of the gods and foil to be used by all ancient Greek mythographers. Hera, of course, has a thing for fucking with Heracles. It's kind of her life's mission. At least while he's on Earth and while he's immortal, she will fuck with him. So Hera disguises herself as an Amazon. She goes down to Themyscira and fucks shit up. She makes her way through the crowd of Amazons, whispering into their ears and then repeating it louder and louder. Heracles is kidnapping the queen, Hippolyta. She tells the Amazons that these Greeks are in the midst of kidnapping their queen. Are the Amazons just going to stand by and watch? <sighs> now it seems the Amazons at this point are in their city, Themyscira, whereas Hippolyta is with Heracles by the ships. So it seems at the beginning... Neither one can see one another. This is the key to Hera's deception. And because this is the way these stories go, the Amazons are convinced by Hera. I mean, she's convincing. She's a goddess. And the Amazons aren't about to let these strange Greek men come in and kidnap their fucking queen. So grabbing their bows and their other weapons, they attack Heracles and his men. 
Heracles and his men spot the Amazons raging towards them, clearly attacking the men and their ships, and they too react naturally to the situation. Heracles assumes this means that Hippolytes betrayed him, that she'd promised to give him the belt only to actually bring his guard down while her Amazonian warriors attacked. Reacting to what he believes to be outright treachery, Heracles kills Hippolyta right then and there. In the version where he does this easily, it's because she's not expecting it. They're having a peaceful conversation when suddenly her Amazons attack and before she can say a word about it, she's been killed. Alternatively, Hippolyta reacts quickly enough to defend herself and the pair fight it out. Of course, they're equally matched, so the fight is impressive, suspenseful, and only after lots of badassery on both sides, Heracles is finally able to kill Hippolyta. From there, the battle between Heracles and his men and the Amazonian women whose queen has just been killed escalates. But the story is being told by the Greeks. It's one of their favorites, these battles between Greek heroes and Amazonian women, depicted on pottery so often, even including the names of the Amazons. Still, because it's a Greek story, no matter how strong these women are, no matter how impressive, no matter what their warrior prowess might be, in the end, they are bested by Heracles and his men. According to some, there's an Amazonian woman saved from the battle called Melanippe. Either Hippolyta saves her life in the battle, or she ransoms the war belt for Melanippe's life. Regardless, in many cases, at least Melanippe survives this encounter with the Greeks. Where ancient Greece's biggest douchebag fits into the story varies from version to version, But a key piece is that one way or another, in the end, Theseus ends up with an Amazon too. Because according to many versions of the story of Heracles' encounter with the Amazons, he had a certain other hero on board his ship with him. Theseus. From this telling, her name is Antiope, second in command to Hippolyta. Elsewhere, it's Hippolyta who he kidnaps. But in all cases, somehow Theseus ends up with an abducted Amazon, who he quote-unquote marries, i.e. rapes. She bears his child, Hippolytus, the Hippolytus of last week's episode on Theseus's other wife, Phaedra. Sometimes even I can find myself shocked and disturbed by the level of horror that that man committed. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. 
Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, today's episode is about those badass Amazonian women of mythology, and one of the most famous of them is famous because she was married to, yes, Theseus. Now, I've often, if not always, referred to the Amazonian wife of Theseus as Hippolyta because their child was named Hippolytus. But the incredible book The Amazons by Adrienne Mayer, which is one of my main sources for this episode, names her explicitly as Antiope. And of course, when you factor in the story I've just told you about Heracles and that version being how Theseus gets an Amazonian wife, then she simply must be Antiope. Now, obviously, the term wife is tricky here. But for the ancient Greeks, Antiope was now owned by Theseus. 
And since he wanted her to be his wife, she was. Again, in her book, Adrian Mayer recounts the differing versions, whether Theseus abducted Antiope on Heracles' expedition or whether he went there by himself. Quote, Abduction and rape would be in character for Theseus, who was a serial predator. I'm just always glad when we're all in agreement here. Of course, that's modern agreement on the character of Theseus. In the mythology, there are countless versions of how exactly Antiope existed as Theseus's wife and therefore queen of Athens. Did she leave with Theseus willingly? There are definitely versions that suggest she did. Did she straight up betray her Amazonian sisters and friends for a handsome man? Of course, there are versions that suggest that. Or was she straight abducted and forced to marry Theseus? There are absolutely those takes on it. And frankly, they're the most convincing, even ignoring my obvious bias towards stories where women aren't treated like they live constantly at the whims of men. Because, well, Theseus. The fact that Theseus was a serial abuser, rapist, and everything else under the sun is straight out of myth. Sure, some sources didn't consider it bad, but others did, and objectively, what he did was bad. It's only not bad if you don't consider women as free people who have thoughts and feelings of their own. In any event, obviously I'm going with the story where Theseus abducted Antiope because, one, it's absolutely fitting in his character, and two, a strong warrior Amazonian queen is, again, objectively unlikely to decide on a whim that some random guy from across the sea is worth giving up her whole life and betraying her friends and family. Come on. Having abducted Antiope from her homeland, Theseus eventually brings her back to Athens, where he is king, and installs her there as his wife and queen. And suddenly, this woman whose entire life before this point had been hunting and fighting and living amongst warriors is forced to be a domesticated wife and queen of a city she's never been to before, nor probably ever heard of, because this fucker came to Themyscira and just took her away. Fortunately, the Amazons weren't going to take the murder of their queen and the abduction of Antiope lying down. They were fucking warriors. The new queen of the Amazons by this point, Orithia, put together an enormous army to rain absolute horror and destruction down on Athens and its king, Theseus. Now remember, the official founding of Athens is done by Theseus, so this is an awfully young city at this point, and it would be horrible if the Amazons were to completely destroy it, to burn it to the ground. Which, I mean, they might have if the story hadn't come from Athens itself, but much like that of Heracles, this one acts as yet another example of the Greeks having a real thing for talking about mythological battles between themselves and the Amazons, and their desire to show how they were able to defeat said Amazons, those darn women. Still, the siege of Athens by the Amazons was one for the ages. They were said to have brought a massive army to the city's walls, traveling not by sea but by land, passing through Anatolia, Thrace, and Thessaly, Boeotia, and Attica to finally get to Athens. According to some, before they invaded Athens, the Amazons sent a message to Theseus. Return Hippolyta's belt and Antiope and maybe we'll spare your city. 
Theseus, obviously, was not only a dick, but also the embodiment of toxic masculinity, so he refused. And so the Amazons laid siege to Athens. They breached the walls surrounding the city. They kept supplies from coming in. They kept people from leaving. They absolutely dominated the city of Athens. In a play, Aeschylus describes them building towers, in essence constructing their own city right there to rival Theseus. This isn't likely, but Aeschylus was a playwright, and what is more impressive and dramatic than that? And throughout it all, Antiope is said to have fought at Theseus's side. This is an interesting detail. It's both impressive that she was allowed to fight at his side and that she was considered to be enough of a warrior to defend him and the city in that way. But it's also depressing, this idea that she was forced to fight for Athens or had developed some kind of Stockholm syndrome and so wanted to fight for Athens or that she was viewed as actually having fallen in love with that horrible man. It's sad that she had to fight her people, the people from her homeland, who were there in part because she'd been abducted and brought to Athens. That all said, according to Mayer, there are at least six vases that depict Antiope actually fighting alongside the Amazons and against Theseus. So I'll take that one. Even though these stories are told by Athenians, the implication is clear. The Amazons really fucked them up. Just like Hippolyta was a match for Heracles, the Amazons were a match for the Athenians. In some cases, the Amazons even managed to lay siege to the Acropolis itself, the most sacred place in Athens, high up on its hill. But after three months, the Athenians finally managed to gain some ground, to push the Amazons back, to gain enough of an advantage that the Amazons capitulated. Antiope brokered a truce between Theseus and the Athenians and the Amazons who were there to bring her back. The true end of this war is vague. There are references to fallen Amazons being buried in Athens with monuments dedicated to them there, and fallen Athenian heroes buried on the road to Piraeus, the port city. Even notions of Antiope smuggling wounded Amazons out of Athens and to the island of Euboea in the city of Chalcis, where there are graves attributed to Amazons who fell in that battle for Athens? It seems those historical graves are likely from Mycenaean times and attributed to Amazons to continue with this myth-making of Athens, that the city fought the Amazons and won. Regardless, it seems in most instances, Antiope died in the war, either defending Theseus, which is just a huge bummer, or in the battle more broadly, sometimes accidentally hit by one of her fellow Amazons, who they may have even believed was buried next to her. But in any event, Antiope was a hero to rival even the most famous Greek heroes. And the Amazons themselves rivaled even the best of the Greeks. The Athenian myth of the war with the Amazons, the Amazonomachy, is a fascinating one. 
It's pretty clear to me that the intention was to make Athens appear more important, more impressive. Athens wanted to indicate that not only did they believe their hero, Theseus, was heroic, but that he was also able to take an Amazon for a wife, even if it spawned an epic, horrible war. But it also indicated how they saw Amazons, as warrior women who were the most impressive foe they could imagine. That having a mythical story of a war with the Amazons in Athens' past showed the power and might of their city. Of course, there are definitely historical aspects that I haven't gotten into here, how the Amazons were associated with the ancient Scythian nomadic people, and how those people were, in a sense, real-life Amazons. I want to do a whole episode on that sometime, but it just takes so much more research than a mythological one. And the mythological one is no less important. It showed how Athens feared these people, the Amazons or the Scythians, and it showed how much they respected a tribe of warrior women. Given Athenian women were confined to the home, the idea that the understood women of other peoples could be warriors is fascinating and a little depressing. Like, I wonder if Athenian women looked at these stories of the Amazons and wished they could have been born to a Scythian tribe instead of an Athenian one. There were certainly women of the area that wanted to exist as men did in their world and just couldn't. So to see these depictions of Amazons all over your city would be hard, I imagine. And there were depictions all over Athens. Not only is the Amazonomachy depicted on the Parthenon itself, but it's believed it was also depicted on public wall paintings throughout Athens. There were shrines to the Amazons, graves for the fallen. The Athenians loved to emphasize this mythological history and depicted it really often. It's an especially interesting myth in that case, too, because it was on the Parthenon and on walls and on so, so much pottery but we don't have a full surviving account. Much of what we have comes from Plutarch, who had access to ancient sources that we don't now, so he wrote about what those sources said, but he was also trying to tease out what he believed to be an actual true history, so it's not like he was just telling us word for word what those ancient sources said. Instead, when it comes to writing, it exists in fragments, some bigger than others, and kind of whatever Plutarch chose to share. And once again, we have a case where all I can think about in the world is what it would be like to go back there and read what we've lost. (sighs) There is one more famous Amazonian woman who encountered a man, Penthesilea, the daughter of the first Amazon, Otrera, and sister to Antiope and Hippolyta. Her story comes to us from Troy, from the end of the Trojan War, after the end of the story told in the Iliad. The version that remains, that we can read now, is not the oldest version of the story, but it comes from a man named Quintus Smyrnaeus, who wrote it very late, sometime in the 3rd or 4th century. Penthesilea was fighting for Troy as an ally. She was also there because of a tragedy. In this telling, she had accidentally killed her sister, Hippolyta, when she had thrown a spear meant for a stag. So Penthesilea is fighting for Troy against the Greeks, But she's also experienced a trauma for which she's trying to atone. Enter Achilles, that motherfucker. What remains of Penthesilea's story is so tragic and so wrapped up in Achilles' anger at the death of Patroclus and the mess he makes towards the end of the war that it's hard to gather a real idea of how this Amazonian badass would have been actually understood. But... 
I want to do this story justice, and I want to talk about more warrior women of mythology and more about the Amazons, so the story of Penthesilea will come another time. It's been a while since I left you with a cliffhanger. It seems about time. Oh, nerds, thank you so much for listening. I wish I could get into Penthesilea today, but this week has been so, so overwhelming and busy with the book launch and a million other things that I just couldn't get to the research and I don't want to do it half-assed. So instead, Penthesilea will be soon. And one last reminder, today is my official book birthday. If you haven't ordered it yet, you really should. It's pretty great and the illustrations are fucking incredible. So get on it, would you? You can get it wherever you get your books, even internationally. Might I recommend a nice independent bookstore? Oh, and remember, it's also available in audio. My book launch is also tomorrow, Wednesday, March 31st. It's free, online, it's on Zoom, it's hosted by Monroe's Books. Head to the link in the description of this episode to register, or just monroebooks.com. M-U-N-R-O-B-O-O-K-S.com. It's gonna be fun. Thank you all again. I'm so grateful for all of you. Thank you for listening and for buying my book and for being around in general. It's very cool. You are all the best. I am Liv and I love this shit. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. 
Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.